It is time to break the silence on sexual sins in the church. I'm Eric Hovind, and this is the Creation Today show. Hey to all of my homeschool families out there who make this uh, show part of your weekly education, I need to issue you a little warning that while we're not going to be discussing anything super graphic, today's show is probably more suitable for high schoolers and above. Now, if you're new to the Creation Today show, uh, we're on a mission. We just want to disciple the whole world. We want to turn the stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus as the creator and the redeemer of mankind into stepping stones on people's journey to know the truth. This show is made possible by the Creation Today partners. And to all of you, I say thank you and welcome. No matter where you're at watching or listening today's show, let me just be honest. This conversation, breaking the silence on sexual sins in the church, this conversation is definitely 100% for you. Uh, My guests today are Dale and Faith Ingram. They run a full-time ministry dedicated to educating the church about sexual abuse in the church. I want to read a portion of their book as they join me. Uh, Their book is Tear Down This Wall of Silence. Under startling statistics, it says this, I had thought most sexual assaults were committed by strangers, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Abel and Harlow Child Molestation Prevention Study says that 90% of child molesters molest children they already know. Furthermore, most molesters are in the possession of authority, excuse me, position of authority over the victim. And with that, I say, Wow, the church has to be incredibly careful. Uh, Dale and Faith's own story, their own firsthand knowledge and experience with this has actually propelled them to want to help others. And I'm so glad they're joining me today. today. Dale and Faith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Good to you. Be here. Well, you guys wrote an absolutely um, an, an amazing, amazing book, Tear Down This Wall of Science uh, of Silence. And as you as you walk through kind of the book and you realize what you have personally gone through, I go, this is a must have for every single church member today. Uh, You walk us through the problems, uh, you speak to the victims, you speak to the offenders, uh, you bring incredible clarity to the solutions that need to be implemented and, and what the church needs to do, uh, what every church needs to do. Um, I guess I want to start by just Asking you guys, how long have you guys been dealing with this subject as kind of an introduction to, to our partners here? So we started our ministry mainly in 2007 was kind of the, the stage when we were processing it, kicking around ideas. Um, our first event was in uh, January of 2008, and we did it at our own church. And then our first conference was in February of 2008. But it, it's a combination of face story that goes way back. I'm going to let her share just a little bit of her story, and then we can come back into how we started our ministry. So I was raised in a pastor's home. I'm the sixth of nine children, and I'm the only girl. I accepted Christ as my Savior following an Easter service when I was five years old. And... um 
when I was around nine years old, my dad chose to misuse his authority over me and he began to sexually abuse me. And that abuse lasted until I was 18 years old. And I kept silent um, about my abuse for many reasons. One is, one of the main reasons is because my abuser was someone who was supposed to love and protect me and he violated that trust and I didn't know who I could trust um, at that point and who would believe me and what would happen to our family. All of those questions come into play. But um, also during that time, I thought I had to protect God. I thought if if I told my story, things that I didn't understand, where was God and that I would have to answer questions about, well, where was your God? And, and doesn't he care? And all of those questions that I couldn't answer. So it was best for me to just be quiet and not um, raise questions about who God was and things that I couldn't answer. And um, so I kept quiet. And the only person that I told of my abuse was um, I told Dale um, when we were in Bible school, when we were dating that just before we got engaged, but I never told anyone. And I would have thought that I was healed if you had asked me because I died emotionally when I was nine years old. That was my survival mechanism because that's the only way that you can be abused one minute. And then like a half hour later, sit at the table, dinner table with your offender and not be angry and bitter. And so I wasn't dealing with the depression and the suicides and the bitterness. Um, but I, I died. I was straight lined emotionally. I didn't have joy. I didn't have excitement. I didn't have anticipation. I was just flatlined emotionally and that's how I survived. But, um, in 2006, my dad abused my niece. And it was that event and us having to deal with it as a church, as a family and legally that thrust us into this ministry because we didn't handle my abuse properly. We ignored it. And we, and in doing that, we were enabling my offender to have more and more victims. Yeah. One of the things that we, we tell people now, when when Faith had shared with me that her dad had abused her, and he graduated in 1961 from the same Bible college that we graduated from. I graduated in 1983. Faith graduated in 1984. Wow. He was preaching in his first church in 1959. So as a one-year Bible school student, he was preaching in his first church. But I knew nothing about abuse or very, very little. I could give you the definition, but I had no idea of how prevalent it was. But when I, I said to Faith, I said, I don't want anything to do with this guy. And Faith's response was, well, we have to love and forgive. And, it, and it's absolutely true. We do need to love and we do need to forgive. But we also need to hold offenders accountable. And we didn't do that. I mean, what I tell people now is what we did was nothing. We would have told you before 2006 that we had chosen to love and forgive, but we really did neither of those two things. There's a difference between doing that and doing nothing. You know, true love 
would would be to confront the offender. It's not good for them to continue. Mm-hmm. And love for the the past victims, um, love for you know faith as a victim, love for the people in the future. He's gonna he's going to harm. It's not loving to just let it go, and that's the reality of what we did. And I think that that there are many other Christians who think that what they're doing is being loving and forgiving when it's like us, we did nothing. Not until 2006 and on into 2007 when God was really waking us up to the issue. I feel like this conversation could probably last all day long with what we need to talk about. And that's, I'm so grateful that your, your book covers everything so detailed and so well. Um, and, and I want to, I, I need to ask you guys, okay, how, what should the church do? What should individuals do? What should the a victim do? What should the abuser do? And I, and we need to get into all that, but let me back up real quick though and go, and, and I don't mean to be callous when I ask this, um, but genuinely there are, there are, there are people out there that have more of a secular view and they don't really have a, a foundation to process why is sexual sin wrong? Whether that be abusing a child. Now, granted, they, most people would admit that that is wrong. But even, well, what about two consenting adults, even if they're in the church, uh, one uh, abusing his authority over another individual? Um, can, can we first just ask, why is sexual sin, why does it matter so much? Why is it so bad? Why does it cause so much trauma, even more than than somebody stealing from you or somebody lying to you. It's like, this causes deep emotional hurt. Can, can, yes. can we just address that real quick? And then I want to get to churches and what are the statistics and so many other things. Yes. So in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 and 19, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So that passage tells us that there are other sins that don't affect us in the same way that sexual sins affect us. When you are sexually abused, especially as a child, it affects every part of your being. It doesn't just affect you physically, it affects you emotionally, spiritually, and um, it affects your soul, body, spirit, and mind. And it's so confusing for for a survivor to sort out all of the different emotions that this trauma brings into their um into their life. Yeah, and I think in a Eric, in a very similar way, you know, Adam and Eve's sin brought a separation between them and God. And and sexual sin, especially when we're talking about uh, if we're talking about child molestation, child rape, or vulnerable adults, in other words, where it's not two consenting adults, it's also a violent crime. And I think it's one of the things that we have to try to get our head around as Christians and realize that that the wounds go even deeper. And so these are, these are wounds that go down to the soul. And, and in answer to your question, I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it's so important to deal with it. 
Well, you guys speak to a lot of churches, um, and the church, uh, man, they got to find themselves in a really difficult position here because they're trying to help the victim. Uh, at the same time, there, and I heard you, Faith, uh, refer to it as a survivor. Is that a better term than victim? Is that a better way to communicate? Uh, just hearing you say that made me curious. Um, I, I, some people refer to them as I'd usually do victim slash survivor. Okay. Um, because some people are still living in that victim state. They're still trying to even find healing. Wow. And, and then there's people that are, are survivors, but yeah, I usually refer to myself as a survivor um, because I survived it. And, and then, you know, as you go, on in your healing journey, you become a survivor, then you become a come victorious, you know? So, um, so I, I, I refer to myself as a victorious survivor. That's beautiful. Well, no doubt based on the statistics, and I want you guys to give those matter of fact, we should probably do that. Let people know what's really going on statistically in the church and, and, and at large in the world, How, how many boys and girls are victims of this kind of abuse? So, it really is shocking. I know in, in 2006, Faith actually was the one that was doing the research, and then she would kind of digest it and tell me what she was finding. And I remember just being you know, jaw-dropping, shocking, as she's sharing the statistics. Statistics are based on studies, and the studies are showing that somewhere between one in three girls, maybe one in four girls, and one in six boys will be raped or molested by the time they're 18. Now, and again, you can, you can find some other statistics, but there's a lot of studies that zero in on that. And there are even, there are even cultures, the more closed a culture is, or the more closed a religion or a denomination is, the more isolated, those rates actually go up from there. I've talked to a missionary couple shortly after we started our ministry who was working with a particular group of people here in the U.S. And they were out on the West Coast. And that particular group of people, the one missionary, they'd worked with them for over 40 years. She actually said that in that group of the girls, it's it, it may be almost 100%. The, the sexual abuse is so rampant, and, and Faith and I have worked in some, in some groups where the rates, I think, are even higher than what we just quoted. Unbelievable. So, okay. Um, the church is in a tough position, I guess, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they have to deal with, I mean, here they are, you know, the, quote, authority, and they have to deal with both the victim, they have to deal with the abuser, they have to figure out what does it look like to love. We need to walk through here. Okay, is it just oh he said he's sorry or she said she's sorry? You have to forgive, help the church, and then you've got the, the church. Sometimes it's people in the church in leadership that are the abuser. And I, I'm assuming what you're saying is, and based on your book, this is often the case. Somebody using their authority, using God's name, so to speak, in vain, and and using their authority in the church to manipulate somebody uh, for for their own selfish desire. Let, just uh, help. 
What, what do we do? So the, the normal response of, of the church when a victim comes forward and tells their story, the first response is denial. Um, that we wow. don't want to believe that this could happen in our church or in our circle of friends. So that's the first step. The first response is denial. And a lot of times the church never wants to get out of that denial. And they they want to quickly, as quickly and easily as they can, get rid of this problem. So the quick, easy solution to them is have the offender apologize, have the victim just accept that apology, forgive, forget, and get on with her life or their life. And then we'll just forget everything happened. And that's that's not loving because the offender is you're enabling the offender to go on and have more victims and you're not providing healing for the survivor. So I kind of look at it like a parent with two children. If they have two children and the older child, let's say he hits the younger child over the head with a, with a bat and the parents come in and they see that the younger child has an injury on his head and he's crying. And they say to the younger child, what did you do to make your brother hit you with that bat? And you need to say that you're sorry to your brother and you need to never ever do whatever you did to make him hit you with that that bat. And that may sound ridiculous, Eric, but I can tell you from from the victims that we've we've talked with and worked with since 2008 that many 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 victims that's how the church responds they they put the blame on the victim and and, and faith will share at our conferences that one of the things that she believes one of the reasons that people do that it's easier to believe a child is lying than to believe someone maybe we love and respect could do such a monstrous thing. And that's what blew me away when it said 90% of child molesters are molesting somebody that they already know. Um, I mean, it it, honestly, it it makes me, if I were not in the church, this would make me scared to go to the church. Right. Uh, Right. Because you guys have dealt with, with teachers, with pastors, with all kinds of, leadership in the church and in, in, man, I'm thinking through the process of it's hard to get people to volunteer to help the kids in the church. Yes. And, yes. and this just makes it even, even so it makes you, you actually, you actually, part of your book was showing why uh, from the um, abuser, from the offenders mentality, why a church is a great place because there's so much trust. It's, it's an easy access point to commit offenses inside the church. And that's why churches need to be aware of this conversation. Like I said, we, we could be here all day and I'm just like, oh man, okay, help me, help me process what we have time in what we have time. Help me process what we need to, what we need to understand, uh, specifically from the church's perspective. What do people in the church need to do? Should people be scared? Yeah, just don't go to church anymore. That's almost where you feel like, look, just get out. But that's not what God has called us to do either. And and you were a pastor. Yeah. Okay, help. So the church is a soft target. So are, you know, Boy Scouts, uh, youth athletics. All of those are soft targets. There's a lot of children there. They need volunteers. They need help. It's It's the perfect opportunity 
for the offender to find people to pray on. That's exactly what's happened. And the thing is, you know, God warned us back in the book of Jude to beware of people creeping in. Verse 4 talks about that certain men have crept in unnoticed. And there's several different words in the letter that Jude is writing that have a sexual connotation to them. They're, they're coming in the church to take sexual advantage of people and even goes on to talk about, you know, later in, in that in that letter, you know, the angels that kept not their first estate. And, and if you read the story there in, in Genesis chapter six, they, you know, they came down and had sexual relations with, with the daughters of men. And Jude's warning us that this is going to happen. And one of the reasons is it's pretty easy to take advantage. Now, the, the Me Too movement has opened the eyes of a lot of people. But we have to realize as a church, we, we have to have good policies in place. We have to... We, we have to raise the level of awareness of all of our folks that are coming to church. The, I think the best defense against abuse is to have an educated congregation about the dangers of abuse, what to look for, what to watch for. So it's not just one or two people in the church, but everybody who attends there has a good level of awareness about what God says about abuse and the danger signs, what to watch for. That's probably the number one thing that we could do is that awareness will lay a good foundation for addressing the issue of abuse. And another thing that we need to do as parents is we need to empower our children. So because our kids are on the front line, we can't be with them 24 hours a day. So we need to educate our children. And there's a book um, called God Made All of Me by um, Justin Holcomb and Lindsay Holcomb. And that's a, a book that parents can read with their children that makes them aware that their bodies are their own. They can say no. They can, you know, it teaches them about all different kinds of touch and even somebody that you love. If you're not comfortable, you don't have to have a hug from grandma or grandpa if you're not comfortable. And you can, you can say no to protect yourself. And when we educate our kids and keep that line of communication open so that if something happens that gives them a uh-oh feeling or an uncomfortable feeling, or this is just isn't right, they can come to you and say, you know what, this guy did something and I just wasn't comfortable with it. And they can make you aware. And that opens up the communication between parent and child so that the child knows, you know, it's okay to tell me things that are uncomfortable or that you don't feel are right. That, and we don't just shut our kids down and say, oh, we don't talk about that because we need to talk about that with our kids. I sitting here thinking uh, for those of, that, that don't come out and say anything because they don't want to cause waves. They don't want to hurt the church or, I mean, you got, you got a, a public image you got to deal with. You've got hypocrisy in the church. You don't want, you know, people thinking, oh, well, then all Christians are like this. And I meet people all the time who say there's too much hypocrisy in the church. And I just right. give them that little example. Is there such a thing as counterfeit money, counterfeit $100 bills? Yes. Does that prove there's no such thing as real $100 bills? No. And 
The reality is you and I are all sinners, guys. We we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And looking at the statistics, you know somebody who's experienced this, or I've got, based on the numbers watching us right now, I've got a lot of you who have experienced something like this. And I just thought, man, what, what if... What if we just got you this book and and you gave this to your your spiritual authority if they were not the 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 abuser and you said I need you to read this and after you read this I need to share something that happened to me with you here in this church and it gives them the tools that they need and then opens the door because what you guys do many people many many people in leadership in church aren't prepared to handle this properly is that that's what you guys have experienced is that correct yeah, yes. that's correct there are so, more, more churches that are that are working on that, but still a lot are not there. So this would be a great way to start. Or if if you want to help prevent the problem, you need to contact um, uh, Dale and Faith and say, say, hey, I want to do an intensive for our church, and they can zoom in with your with your church and your leadership, or or on a on a time with your whole church congregation, and just let them give you a one hour intensive overview of here's some things you need to be aware of, here's the stats, here's what the church needs to implement, here's what you need to do to protect yourself and your children. Um, bottom line is, I find myself right here going victims. Um, I want you to be empowered to speak up. God can handle this. And God can handle it correctly. Satan wants to sweep it under the rug. God would rather say, bring it into the light. I mean, Satan is what who wants to keep things in the darkness. And I'm telling you, just like with any other sin in your life, when you bring it into the light, it brings healing and God can work. When you keep it in the dark, that's where Satan continues to work. And God used sin and used it and turned it around. What Satan meant for evil, God turned it around and used it for his glory through his death on the cross. And God can use the tragedies that have happened in your life and use those to mold glory for himself if you'll let him. But it's going to take it's going to take a little bit of boldness. And I guess I find myself, guys, wanting to say, please, you, you have permission to speak up. You're, you're not going to make God look bad. I promise God can handle this. Um, so I, I want to, uh, there's so much I want you guys to share with what should the victim do, but also to the abuser, to, to, to the offender. Um, there's probably people watching this that have, have offended someone, have abused someone. First of all, you need to recognize what you've done. And I'd say, I just, I just want to give you permission to, to bring that into the light. Um, I, I think right now, I think, man, you should be, you should be, you should be supporting the work of Dale and Faith to help. It, it's not a penance thing, but help overcome what has happened in other people's lives based on what you've done. You need to recognize the damage that's been done to people's lives, and you need to help be part of the solution and stop being part of the problem. Uh, Guys, what would you say, I guess, first of all, to the victim uh, and then to the offender? uh, And I've got about three or four minutes before we need to let social media go and our our podcast go. Can you you spend a couple minutes on what you'd say to the victim and what you'd say to the abuser, even though I know you got several chapters on each of these? To, to the victim, uh, definitely want to say the abuse was not your fault. I mean, like Eric was just pointing out, we're all sinners. We all need a savior. But the abuse is never the fault of the victim. And it's really important for them to understand that they need to understand that God loves them, cares for them. Mm-hmm. And and for the offender, Christ had a cross for sin. You, you know, you can repent, you can find forgiveness, but you've got to take ownership 
and part of that taking ownership is accepting the consequences. And and for some abusers, that's going to be some pretty serious consequences. But you know, David had to face consequences. God said the sword is never going to depart from your house. And that was, you know, even though God forgave him, we do experience the consequences. Right. Yeah, and I think God does. God values um, all all people, and especially those who have been abused. He he talks so much about his love for the oppressed. First steps, first steps. Like I think right now, first for me, first step of understanding this. I'd met you guys several years ago, but when when I got your book, um, first step in understanding is really our first step is just understanding where we're at, what we need to do. Um, some of you uh, who are watching, you need to get this for your pastor or for your church leadership and say, listen, next month's book view, book is going to be this book. This is the book you are going to read to understand what's going on. Uh, if you already know of, a, of another book that you should get, then grab that. But uh, this one does such a good job of laying everything out. It's it's powerful. Before I dismiss social media, though, this this does paint a really scary picture of of public gatherings and church. I've got parents and grandparents who are watching. They've experienced this or some form of this. They're very thankful that this is coming out in the open. Um, give some advice to to parents real quick of children. You already said be honest. You already said start this as a conversation. How far should they go in telling their kids about they, what actually happens in the church? What often happens with parents and grandparents, because they're afraid and they think that they're protecting their child, it's so important to report abuse. We find so many victims, and we've had parents and grandparents come to us, and the children have nothing more to do with them. The grandchildren have nothing more to do with them, because as they begin to grow up, they say, you didn't protect me. You didn't stand up for me. It makes such a huge difference when mom and dad or grandpa, grandma stand up. And the same with the church, stand up for those who've been abused. That really helps them in the healing process. Mm -hmm. Makes a big difference. Um, I need to let social media go. Uh, I, I could I could be here all day talking with you guys about these things. I mean, I, 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 we need to talk with, with our partners. Let's go into how do we know who's telling the truth in these situations? What should the punishment be? What, when do you go to law enforcement? When do you go and say, okay, this, this is at the point where it is a criminal offense. Uh, there's so many things that need to be talked about. Um, yeah. So let, let's go into that. But social media, I do need to let you guys go. If you guys want to become partners of creation today, you do get access to the full conversations. And I, our goal, our prayer is that these would be incredibly, incredibly helpful to you. Um, Dale and Faith, victims that are out there, do they have permission to just contact you guys, go to your website and contact you guys? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I thought. Can't throw their website up there. You guys have a great website, speakingtruthinlove.org. Speaking truth in love. Do I have the right website there? Speakingtruthinlove.org? Yes. I yes. always confuse yes. you yes. and your brother's website. So forgive me. <laughs> I always get them mixed up. Speakingtruthinlove.org. Go there and connect with, with Dale and Faith and please become, get equipped to overcome so that you're not just the victim, you're the survivor and you're the victor. The, the, the victorious survivor who is actually helping other people. I, and I just, I want to go out like they said and said, and say, I'm really sorry that this has happened. And this is, this has been done. Um, this is not what God wants. 
And God would want you to speak up and share the truth in, hopefully in love, hopefully right. to bring about truth and healing, and hopefully to bring about repentance in your offender. Um, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you for joining. Next week, by the way, oh, incredible, incredible conversation next week. I don't know if you realize this. Every cell inside your body is screaming the glory of God, and it's screaming creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Um, we're going to be talking uh, next week uh, some brand new scientific stuff about your the DNA in your body that's being decoded. Dr. Nathaniel Jensen is just just finished an incredible study. And I want to go into that. To me, this is this is something you can use witnessing to people. You can share this with people, not even not even witnessing and bring them to an understanding that they are created by God recently within the last 6,000 years. So it's going to be an awesome uh, kind of up-to-date science of what's going on in the world of, of genetics and your DNA. So I'm really excited about that. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday live at noon. Um, I want to get to questions from partners now, though, guys. Uh, so goodbye, Facebook, goodbye, YouTube, goodbye, uh, podcast listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in.